So like with many career offices, you know, we track everything, uh, <laughs> every type of student engagement that they have. Uh, and as we were talking earlier, for example, our career advising information, while 70% of our student appointments last year had uh, a hybrid modality, meaning students can either select to come in person for those career advising appointments, or they can choose to have a virtual appointment, only 30% of the actual appointments were in person. So even though quite a few had the option of doing virtual or in-person, students were making the decision with their feet or I guess with their fingers as they were logging <laughs> into the computer. Uh, we also quickly realized that, you know, not every department is the same uh, and each department has different needs, missions and, and clientele that should be taken into account. Uh, so whether that's a student population or an employer population or an alumni population even, uh, this notion around making decisions at the unit level became really important to us. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. The COVID pandemic forced many student affairs professionals, but not all, to shift to virtual or remote, remote work roles. Now many campuses are returning to normal, although we know that normal wasn't really ever good for everybody, and eliminating or drastically limiting work from home or hybrid options for student affairs staff members. As student affairs leaders look to retain staff, most effectively engage students and foster workplace cultures of thriving, what is the right role for work from home and hybrid work options for various student affairs roles? Today, I'm joined by four folks who have thought deeply about these possibilities in very different contexts. Thank you all for joining me today. I'm so excited to learn from each of you. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher, of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner. Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. And this episode is also sponsored by Leadership. Go to leadership.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just, caring, and thriving world. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach, and you can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm broadcasting today from Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of both the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. Let's get to the conversation. I'm so grateful for each of you for joining us. Uh, as I mentioned, as we were pre-chatting, this whole episode is Colleen's fault. You reached out and asked us to do an episode on this months ago, and we're finally getting around to finding folks who um, have more to say than maybe we did as we're thinking through this a little bit more. But Colleen, maybe tell us just a little bit about yourself. Hi, Keith. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Colleen McInerney, uh, and I currently, my, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I currently serve as the assistant director for student activities at Kalamazoo College uh, over in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, uh, at K, we're a residential campus, and we have had a lot of conversations over the last year or two. I, I've been around K for about two years now, um, out of my graduate school experience and now into the field as kind of an entry-level professional. Um, and so we've had a lot of conversations around what this looks like. You know, my, my grad school experience happened in the pandemic and it concluded in that. And so I've just been extremely curious about what other schools are doing and how they're navigating this and what it looks like. So that's what kind of brought me here today. Awesome. Well, we're, we'll hear more about what you're curious about. 
and we'll see if we can uh, help us all begin to think through this. Vaughn, uh, tell us a little bit more about you. Uh, well, good afternoon. Hello, everybody. Keith, Colleen, Will, Rick, uh, the folks at Student Affairs Now. Uh, just thanks for having me here. Vaughn Calhoun, he, him, his. I'm the Assistant Vice President and Dean of the Center of Academic Success at Seton Hall. Uh, you know, when I first came to Seton Hall back in July of 2021, it was, you know, the full swing of, of the pandemic. Uh, and about my first four months, uh, it, it was really about, you know, learning people, programs, and processes, but also building a team. Uh, we had about 10 open positions, uh, ranging from directors, assistant deans, uh, academic advisors, uh, and they all left for various reasons. But, you know, it was a tremendous time to build a team, but, There was a lot of, um, you know, as we're recruiting new people, the questions always came up. What's your work from home policy? And I was like, oh, man. Right. And and that's when I really realized that this isn't just a nice to have. This is going to be a must have as we move forward. In particular, you know, if we want to attract the best talent and keep the best talent. Right. Uh, So, you know, for for me, you know, we I've always heard the term, you know, I, I can't wait till we go back to normal. But I realized then, right, whatever was is not going to be what's going to be in the future. Uh, so, you know, I really don't like that. You know, well, we've always done it this way, uh, you know. And so so for me, it was really thinking of how can we uh, starting to create policies, not just one offs. So, you know, that's how I got into really thinking about work from home, what it means, not only for my institution, but for just higher ed in general. Mm-hmm. Great. And uh, you're at Seton Hall, but we talked before. You're a Rutgers grad, so we're going to a, a, a Rutgers person who is a, also a Maryland Terrapin grad like me. Uh, Will, tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, it's like uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> uh, hello, listeners. My name is Will Jones, and my pronouns are he, him, and his. I am the executive director for the Office of Career Exploration and Success at Rutgers University in New Brunswick. Uh, Within our office, we have about 38 full-time staff members, as well as various interns and graduate coordinators. And I started my role as executive director right at the start of the pandemic. So that was fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, our career office reports through the Chancellor Provost Office, and we certainly serve all students, which is about 50,000 of them. Uh, And so we were really excited uh, when Rutgers recently launched our Flex Work at RU program, mm. uh, where I served as one of the subcommittee chairs focusing on staffing for student services. And, you know, within career services, you know, we work with thousands of employers each year. Uh, and honestly, if higher education wants to maintain our own talent pipelines, yep. uh, we need to identify ways to compete with some of the more flexible work policies that employers have. Uh, so, Colleen, thank you for bringing up this important question. Uh, and I'm happy to be here today. Wonderful. And as we were sharing before, Will borrowed and uh, some of what's going on at Stony Brook uh, to inform some of what they were doing at Rutgers. So Rick, we're really glad to have you here. Tell us a little bit more about you. Great. Thanks so much, Keith and everyone. And Will, I'm so glad you borrowed our material. We're happy mm-hmm. to share. Um, I'm Rick Ghetto. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I serve as the vice president for student affairs here at Stony Brook University. Um, I've been at Stony Brook now for 20 years, in fact, and been in this role for four and a half years. So I had the good fortune to start in the role before the pandemic, and then when the pandemic hit, certainly I still have uh, memories of of sitting at the conference table saying we were in uncharted territory. And in fact, interesting what what Vaughn had just mentioned related to what is your work from home policy? 
in my earlier years at Stony Brook, there was it wasn't spoken. There were you couldn't work from home. And there were mm. days I secretly worked from home because I had to do evaluations or write letters of recommendation, but you wouldn't tell anyone. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it absolutely changed so dramatically around, especially with with preparation, knowing the pandemic was coming. I actually learned from some of my colleagues outside of higher ed who said, go work from home to see if your systems work. And I said, oh, we're going to do the same thing here. So we had had people work from home various days of the week to see, could we operate that way? But the shift just became obviously, as we all know, so dramatic. And then coming back, what does it look like now? And we've worked through that process. And I'm happy to share more as we get into conversation today about it. It really reminded me, uh, one of our earliest episodes was uh, talking about recovering, right, from COVID and coming out of the pandemic, which was like a year and a half ago. So what did we know? <laughs> uh, but one of our guests on that, Ebony Zamani Gallagher, uh, said, there's a notion that higher ed is slow to change. Yes. And we proved on or around March 13th, different depending on where you are, that we can change overnight. That doesn't mean that we changed well. And now is our chance to do this well, right? To do it with thought and intentionality and purpose. And one of the things I worry about is that window of change and innovation and willing to do things differently might be closing on us where we just go, I've had so much change. I just want stability. I don't want anything new. Uh, But there's still room for us to really think about this. So I'm so glad for all of you for being here. As we said, Colleen, this is all your fault. Uh, You uh, had been having these conversations with your colleagues, discussing possibilities. What's possible? What do we want? Do we really want that? Would we regret that if that was able to be happening? Um, What do you think that student student affairs staff members are looking for when it comes to work from home in a hybrid? What What are you seeking? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that a lot of the conversations that we've been having so far are around equitability and the approach to like, how are we, how are we, um, you know, if we're going to create a policy, if we're going to have a seat at the table to inform some of that, how are we ensuring that folks that are super forward facing for students are going to have the same opportunities that some folks that might not, um, you know, be in that same kind of a role. Um, And for us in particular at Kalamazoo College, um, we're a campus of about 1400 students, which means that our offices are pretty small. So in in student activities, just this past year, we had the fortune of going from two staff members to three, which was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, having the conversation of, okay, so if there's three of us, does that mean that we can have a little bit more flexibility? Like, how are we able to get Uh, ultimately, a lot of the conversations we're having revolve around productivity. Um, For me, as the assistant director, um, having a very student central office, it is the greatest joy of my job to have students in and out all day long. Um, And it also makes it really difficult to kind of get some of that like, uh, sort of more tedious task work done. Um, And so sort of just looking for, to me, it sometimes can sort of seem like this seems like a window of opportunity. Like I can perform well, we can still serve our students. Where's the balance? Can we have that opportunity of conversation here? And how are other folks that have taken the leap of faith in doing it? What is that looking like? Mm -hmm. Well, I think students are looking for something different. I remember having been at the University of Maryland uh, where Will was, um, a meeting across campus was like a 10 minute walk to my car, a 10 minute drive, park my car, another 10 minute walk to another thing. And then arriving at McAllister College is a very small 2000 students campus. And uh, students would complain about why do I have to walk all the way across campus to go work out in the rec center? I'm like, 
it's a block. Um, and so it's just making me think about just because we have offices and we're used to thinking students will go to those offices, maybe that's not what they want to do. Maybe they don't want to go to the office. Maybe they'd like to Zoom with you or have an open hours or a chat or things like that. And then what about students? So I think I love that you're centering the student experience and serving students and being with students. But what might that look like, right? Yeah, and Keith, you know, it's funny you mentioned University of Maryland and such a large campus and getting from one side to the other can take some time. At Rutgers University in New Brunswick, we have a river and a highway uh, splitting our campus. And actually pre-pandemic, we had some conversations based off of some student survey data that we collected about how we can extend our office hours to make us more available outside of the standard nine to five. Mm-hmm. We stumbled across this little thing called compressed work schedules. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we brought up our UHR department to figure out a way to implement a, a compressed work schedule because many of our team, they were working late into the hours anyway. Uh, and so wouldn't it be nice if we can give them Monday or a Friday off? Uh, so we work with our UHR department to figure out how to do that while at the same time mm-hmm. extending our uh, hours of operations for four mm-hmm. other days out of the week. Yeah. And sometimes I find, you know, Colleen, being creative uh, is usually the first step, you know, using our imagination and figuring out what can we do within the policies that currently exist and then where can we work to advocate yeah. for policy differences. And I love that you you were creative and you worked with some schedules because I think most people who would say students want to access our services beyond hours because of family responsibilities or jobs or other things, we usually just ask student affairs professionals to work more hours, to just stay a little bit later, to come in a little bit earlier. And we're really good in student affairs about adding more and more and more. <laughs> Not great at rethinking, reimagining, reinventing, re, you know, new paradigms. And so I think that's, that's really important. Keith, can I jump in? I know what, what I like what Colleen said earlier about thinking that we'd have a staff of three, at least, at least when you have more people, you can say, how do we divide the work? And maybe I can get a lot of these projects done at home that is hard to get done in the office, but adds a lot of value and use the word productivity. I think those are some things we've been wrestling with also, knowing on, especially in student affairs, so many of our roles are front-facing, seeing students. It's about serving students. We look at population density on campus as a factor in thinking through that, 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 that allowed us to kind of make some shifts in how we've, we've operated. But I do think, and I'm glad, especially over the last year, I've seen a, a significant shift in people thinking that, oh, you can't get enough work done from home or, or a lot of it may be around trust factor and mm-hmm. feeling that, that you're not going to be really doing any work if you're home and people carry the load in the office. And I, I just think, at least in my area, I think that's dissipated quite a bit that people have seen the ability to be very productive. And as Will and Colleen were just mentioning, it's, it's managing these multiple things. Like we want to serve mm-hmm. students effectively, but there are also ways to still be highly productive and not be physically on site. And I think we're, we're, we're proving just as corporations are doing that we can do that equally well. Right. I guess a theme I'm hearing emerge is one What's the work from home so that we can be student facing in the office and meet with students and be with students, be in the office and then work from home to do some of the projects, the big things where we need that focus. But I think there's another one where how can we be student facing from home? What are the maybe ways we can meet students needs, even though we might not be there or other things or beyond the hours, right? We, we are available from 5 to 8 p.m., just not in the office. You can access us these ways and those kinds of things. 
Vaughn, you wrote about uh, the slow embrace of work from yes. home mm-hmm. and why that is so por- important for a uh, blog post for the NASPA blog, which we'll get in the show notes. Uh, tell sure. us a little bit about what led you to that piece. And I, my my assumption is, tell me if I'm wrong, that in writing that, you had some thoughts and ideas and maybe some conversations with folks. And then once it came out, you got a lot of calls and emails and, hey, have you thought about this? Or I couldn't agree more. Or, I couldn't disagree more. So I'd love to hear kind of what went into it and what's sure. come out of that. No, absolutely. Right. So, you know, I shared the NASPA policy brief, their subcommittee, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we're charged with writing about contemporary issues uh, that our colleagues are facing uh, that they might have some interest in learning more about. And I remember when I was, uh, you know, back at the NASPA's National Convention in Baltimore earlier this spring, the topic that kept coming up was um, student affairs, professional burnout uh, and, and ways in which we can keep and attract talent. Uh, and, and really, you know, higher ed historically uh, has been known for a good work life balance. Right. You know, you get all the major holidays, extended winter breaks, spring breaks, uh, summer Fridays, which ends soon, which I'm really sad about. Um, and, you know, it, 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 in comparison to a lot of other industries, you know, our value proposition uh, was, was pretty good. And then the pandemic hit us. Right. And then work from home became like this standard for many um, industries. Uh, so our competitive advantage wasn't as what it used to be. Right. Uh, so that got me really thinking about this would be something cool to write about, right? Explore what different institutions are doing, how they're implementing it. Because I, I think we always hear, uh, as I think Colleen mentioned earlier, is productivity. Can we be productive, right? But I think the pandemic's really showed us that we can pivot on a dime and be productive, right? Mm-hmm. Now, everyone had their growing pace of trying to figure out their pace. Uh, but, but, but for me, it was really writing about the possibilities. Where is it and where it could go? And, and again, I get some... Some roles on campus can't be remote, right? You think public safety, food services, uh, res life facilities. Some jobs need a certain amount of, you know, people, you know, on campus. But that doesn't mean variations of flex work, compressed work schedules, uh, you know, can't be crafted. Uh, So, like, you know, one of my favorite lines of questioning is asked, you know, what if and how could we, right? I think that opens up possibilities, right? As opposed to saying, well, this is how we've always done it. Let's go back to normal and pretend this never happened. Uh, But for me, I I think institutions are asking the right question because we are noticing and seeing that talent is leaving and and not as much talent is coming back into the pipeline. Like I said, I had 10 open positions and, you know, where we would have 50 candidates. Now we're having like 12. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And not saying that those 12 aren't good, but it's just not the volume that we were once accustomed to. Uh, and, and I think for me, you know, what came out of that were, you know, just the conversations of how technology can help us really reimagine what higher ed is going to look like in the future. Because I think what we do today will dictate higher ed five years from now, 10 years from now. Right. And, and not just work from home, but even, you know, what does online learning look like? What does VR, AR in the classroom look like? Uh, you know, the pandemic is awful as it was. There are lessons that you know, can really help us become more efficient, expand our reach and really serve more people. Right. And I think, you know, you said the things we innovate now will really shape, have the potential to shape. And then the flip side is what we don't innovate now will also limit us in the future with what the possibilities are. Absolutely. Um, And you're talking about, you know, people leaving the attrition in higher ed in general and student affairs specifically, 
And then when we're hiring, you know, we're having trouble hiring. And the best way to solve that problem is not have people leave in the first place, <laughs> right? Sure. The best way to hire 10 people is to not have five of them leave and only be hiring for five people and, and opening some of that up. And so I really want to frame this uh, both as a way to attract talent mm -hmm. and bring people in and also as a way to, to keep the people we have who are valuable and understand the institution and the culture and, and feel like it's a great fit and, and not losing that. Yeah, you know, you know, I was, you know, talking with one of my friends. She she works in tech, which I know is, you know, totally different, you know, beast itself, right? But she was saying uh, she's being recruited now by, you know, these tech companies. And she was saying, if I don't get offers that are 100% remote, I'm not entertaining them, right? So just the landscape and the mindset of candidates now are changing, right? The expectations. And, and I don't think higher ed, we're not immune from that. Uh, one of my director level positions, his first question was, What's your work from home policy? Yeah. And I'm like, well, it kind of depends, right? <laughs> and, you know, and that doesn't really bode well for you know his confidence in us as employers, as you might get it, you might not. What does it look like? So, but again, it's hard, you know, because every department across student affairs and just, just the institution itself is different, and meaning different levels of student interaction, who actually needs to be here, who could maybe stay home a little bit more. You know, folks in IT, they could do their jobs from home, probably more than academic advisors. But then again, too, we had academic advisors do advising, you know, via Zoom throughout the whole pandemic. So right. there's ways of doing it, just how creative do we want to be? Well, and I know we've heard from so many campus counselors and therapists who would have said three years ago, I would never meet with a client over zoom or over the phone like sure. that's that's not i don't think it's ethical i would never do that and now that after doing it for two years i i, I always hope half my clients are virtual and then after in person that's really i, I feel mm. like it's more effective for some people so how do we challenge some of those notions that you know if a student lives in the ninth floor of the residence hall it might be better than to meet virtually with their hall director, then go down to the first floor and track in and find that person and do the hours and do some of those things. So more. Well, it's more also interesting. Well, I'm sorry. It, it's also interesting too, because we talk about this, the importance of meeting students where they're at. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's virtually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and we've talked about that for years now. And I feel like the pandemic has forced us to reconcile what we say with what we actually do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's going to be incredibly important moving forward. Um, meeting students where they're at does not necessarily mean a physical location. And in the case of our office through expiration and success, the vast majority of our students prefer to meet with our career advisors virtually. Whereas before the pandemic, honestly, it was like pulling teeth to not only train our advisors on how mm -hmm. to uh, handle a, a virtual appointment, but also getting students to utilize it. But I think the paradigm has shifted mm -hmm. so much that they're used to it now and they're recognizing the convenience of it. Yeah. Well, well in so your realm too, you're preparing students for what are now virtual interviews. I'm not, yep. if I, if I work, I'm yep. a student at Rutgers, Google is no longer flying me out to do an interview right. at Mountain View campus. They're going to do one or two rounds virtually. And then, and then maybe, and then but maybe not. Yes. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Rick, go ahead. No, I was going to just add to what Will mentioned that similarly with our career center, one of the things that I that I charged our whole team with as we look at what what are students looking because as much as it's nice for employees and team members to work from home, there has to be like the value proposition. What what is good for the student? Do they find value because you've used examples of extended hours, for example? 
you know, it, it, it's it, you can be in your pajamas and be having a virtual. You don't have to get out of get out of your room, for example. So there are benefits on the student side, mm-hmm. and our data, for example, in the career center has shown that more than two thirds of students prefer the virtual appointment over the in person mm-hmm. appointment. So the views in the beginning in the pandemic, we were forced into a certain model, and I agree it was a long time coming to say, look, we can do this and do it yeah. successfully. Then it was the question, how does the hybrid model work, and what does that look like? So, you know, again, there, there's always still, in my view, and this was the evolutionary process of developing a policy and a plan and making sure that people could adjust appropriately and be provide flexibility to the student, but also for the team member in, the, in that right. setting, but still make sure the work gets done. It's been good to see that the student demand has been there, because if the student demand isn't there, while we you, I know use the example of an IT person, right, that could be a fully remote job. Student affairs, it's really a hard sell if a student wanted solely in person. But we are seeing the data both on the counseling end, in the career space, and in, even in student activities that they can successfully set up virtual appointments with groups and, and find that it works mm-hmm. well. So, so yeah. I, I, I hope it's here for the long haul and will continue to evolve. Yeah, and I think even gone about your story about the director candidate who wants to know your policy. And I have so much empathy for you when you say, well, it depends, because I'm thinking about all the things you might be thinking about and concerned about. You don't really know this person. Do they really understand the role? Like that depends, makes so much sense. Right. And if I'm the candidate, wondering if I'm going to do a second interview or not, that's not good enough. And mm-hmm. so like, it depends like what, because I need to know if I'm pursuing this or if, am I wasting your time and my time? Well, Rutgers has rolled out this very robust policy uh, on work from home and hybrid options, which we can include a link to in the show notes. A lot went into it, a task force that you were a part of, uh, and this is for employees across the entire institution. I'd love to hear what are some of the key factors leading the group uh, that, that led to where you ultimately ended up? Yeah, I, I'm really proud of Rutgers, to be quite honest. Uh, you know, after the first year of the pandemic, I think many of us started to realize that not only can we do some of this stuff remotely, we should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fortunately, our, our president really had the foresight to empower a task force to really explore this issue of the future of work. Um, so there was quite a few uh, working groups, uh, including things like human resources. There was an equity group. There was an employee well-being group, an academic affairs group. Uh, you know, really recognizing that different parts of the university might have a different stake uh, in this particular conversation. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, I was asked to serve on the student needs and experience working group. And as part of that working group, I chair the, a subcommittee on, on staffing student services. So, you know, we conducted a lot of research. Uh, we looked at publicly available resources from Insider Higher Ed, Chronicle Higher Ed, NASPA uh, for Vaughn uh, as well, around this overall concern of uh, burnout rates of student service providers. And not just burnout rates during the pandemic, but let's be honest, we've had this issue for quite a few years now. Uh, we also talked with, uh, in the case of CES, Career Exploration and Success, our own employer advisory board to find out what's going on in the corporate world. Because at the end of the day, that's a lot of our competition. We lost five staff members during the pandemic to corporate uh, positions that mm-hmm. had a lot more flexibility along with the additional pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, looked at what other universities were doing and so forth. And, and since my own department, you know, we previously worked with UHR uh, to figure out how to 
create some type of flexibility even before the pandemic, we then used our own office as a case study um, to make the case, figure out what works, provide some data points um, that really help mm-hmm. to make the case with our recommendations. Mm-hmm. So like with many career offices, you know, we track everything, <laughs> uh, every type of student engagement that they have. Uh, and as we were talking earlier, for example, our career advising information while 70% of our student appointments last year had uh, a hybrid modality, meaning students can either select to come in person for those career advising appointments, or they can choose to have a virtual appointment, only 30% of the actual appointments were in person. Mm-hmm. So even though quite a few had the option of doing virtual or in person, students were making the decision with their feet, or I guess with their mm-hmm. fingers as they were logging <laughs> into the computer. Uh, We also quickly realized that, you know, not every department is the same, uh, and each department has different needs, missions, and and clientele that should be taken into account. Uh, So whether that's a student population or an employer population or an alumni population even, uh, this notion around making decisions at the unit level became really important to us. Uh, And so as a smaller group, our primary recommendation around flexible work arrangements included extending services to students where they are, you know, remaining competitive among peers for the purposes of recruiting um, mm-hmm. folks into our positions. Uh, we also needed to assist with the, the current burnout rates of our staff. And, and so we, reckon, we recommended uh, that the university extend the COVID era uh, flexible work arrangements, including both telecommuting and compressed. I don't want to lose sight on the compressed work week because while we talk a lot about certain populations may not actually be able to work from home, there could be some room for a different type of flexible work arrangement, which could be a compressed work week in the case of, of Rutgers. But overall, the goal was to be able to, to create these, these equitable arrangements within similar job classifications within each department with the unit head serving as the primary approver and not, let's say, like a division uh, vice chancellor or so forth. Because again, every department uh, is different. Uh, so we did adapt uh, some of what Stony Brook University had regarding uh, the flexibility, or sorry, the expectations uh, that each staff member who's participating in the program would have from things like the fact that employees must remain in good standing or the employer must, the employee must maintain, expect, there must be an expectation that they remain accessible to the office and so forth. And that really became helpful for us uh, to create a sense of checks and balances here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm really excited about where our final future work report uh, when it was made public. And, and they really did include a lot of the recommendations that our, our working groups and our subcommittees um, uh, really laid out for them during this year-long process that we had. Well, and I, I really appreciate it because Rutgers is such a massive place serving such diverse students with so many different life circumstances and locations in New York City and Jersey and 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 the size and the scope and multiple campuses. I think it's a really great model that you can do this at such a large scale by really empowering offices and departments, common expectations, but individuality. You kept using the equity. What I didn't hear though was equality, right? We're not saying everybody has to do the same thing or can only do the same thing. You're saying these approaches need to be equitable across these units, but they're gonna be really different. Um, For some folks, they may not wanna work from home, but a compressed work schedule where they can leave, where they're not coming in on Fridays, but coming in early and staying late, Monday through Thursday, that could be transformative for a childcare need or mm-hmm. my partner lives in another location. And wow, the possibilities that opens up. Um, 
so much exciting there. I uh, think the transition is going to be once we start posting jobs that actually indicate the degree of remote work or compressed work week. Because I think the beginning has been challenging because everyone's role was an on-site role. And then it, the equity issue becomes who gets to work from home and who doesn't? Because obviously we have facilities managers. That's really much more of a challenging role Mm -hmm. to say, how can you work from home? Maybe on a project per project basis, we've done that a bit, but on a more consistent basis, that's a challenge. But I think when we get to the point of when we post jobs to say, this is not a remote job, or this is partially remote, some hybrid, I think that's going to, I think it'll change the view of everything because you know, you've opted into that model from Mm -hmm. the application stage. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually, we're starting to see more of that now. Uh, you know, we're part of the higher Big Ten network. Uh, and so we're seeing career positions that are posted by other universities right now that highlight their flexible work arrangements as a way to draw in candidates. But I think you're right. Um, I think there's a, there's a point to be made where people can select into these options versus, okay, the job is written to be primarily virtual or primarily on campus, and then they can make decisions based off of that. Right. Well, as Will mentioned, uh, Rutgers pulled a lot of good learning from what folks at Stony Brook did. Uh, Rick, where where you lead the Student Affairs Division, um, what are some of the things that you found have really worked that as you've generously shared with your colleagues, not just Rutgers, but with others, um, that you, you become, you've become even a bigger believer in as time has gone. And then what are some lessons learned, right? What are some of the things you've changed your mind about, become more restrictive here, more expansive here? Sure. Great, great question. So it was, I'll say it was a, maybe a labor of love. <laughs> it took, it took several months and a lot of conversations with everybody, making sure that we were thinking through every possibility. And so, so the document we prepared really around expectations was to walk through every different scenario. So for example, this isn't a substitution for childcare. And if you're sick for this, you know, take yeah. your sick day. And we just were trying to make sure, again, it, it's really trying to create a fair system that everyone was very clear on. And, and so in the beginning, I would, I would agree, it was much more restrictive in the beginning in the sense that you had to formally write a plan what you'd be doing from home every day. And some of these work within the SUNY system had required it as well, just because it was all new to us. And we wanted to make sure it worked well. And I, I appreciate some of my colleagues who led certain areas said, Rick, we want to make sure we're not the ones messing this up. We want to do it right. Mm-hmm. And to know that you can trust in us that we are going to continue to do our job well. And, and so I've appreciated that everyone in our team, I think, took that from the beginning. Um, but it was a matter of, of truly crafting our own policies and practices that we thought were reasonable and fair in that model. We started that in fall of 21 and then did some tweaking. So, for example, one tweak we made was originally we had a policy that said no work from home at all for the first year of employment. Then we changed it. We knew and we thought it was going well for those that did get the chance to work from home occasionally. And then we changed it to no remote work for the first six months. Now we've changed it the first 90 days. So we've just realized that we've had a greater comfort level with knowing that people can do well. And we always know what's the rationale for the decision we're making. So in my mind, the 90-day rationale is really to get people to know their team and work more collaboratively together before you venture and start working from home. The other change that we've made over time, and it is certainly in our area, and I think it's true for all of us, we are so focused on student density. We have 10,000 resident students on campus we can't be in a situation where there aren't enough student or professional staff on site as needed. So 
we have operated with our model to look at on average about a day a week for most people. So it's an 80-20 kind of rule about being working remotely. But during January break, spring break, and the summer, we've moved to a two-day-a-week model for many areas. So especially in the summer, we have densities incredibly low. And a lot of that time we know is spent on advanced planning for the next academic year. You don't need to be in your office for that. And I say, I put myself in that same situation. I can certainly work from home. And in fact, many employees tell us they work even more hours because they're not mm-hmm. commuting. They, they don't have to get dressed up nicely. They're really focused on, on planning ahead. So, yeah. so it actually benefits the campus tremendously in that, in that model. But so to answer your question, we have, I think there have been lessons learned through the process. Um, but overall, I've been very, very happy with the way it's rolled out. We haven't had to pull back really on anything that we've already let, set it to. In fact, we've expanded it more. So you become, as you've done this, you become more expansive and more permissive as things are working and opened up. I, I love what you're saying about, um, you know, the density and doing some of that. I, I, I live here in Minneapolis. St. Paul is across the river, right? It's a it's a bridge and it's a small one. And I hear from folks who say, I used to go to St. Paul three times a week for meetings. I'm never doing that again because to go, you know, the 15 minute drive, then you got to park and you got to pay for parking. You got to get in there. You got to leave. You got to get out of your office. You got to do that. Then you got to come back. The ability to just eliminate that half hour before and half hour after. Now I can meet with more clients, meet with more students, do some of that. And just remembering, you know, at the University of Maryland to have a meeting across campus, it's an hour meeting. It was a two hour out of my life. And if we could have just have done some of those meetings virtually, uh, that would have been great. I would have been able to be more of service to students. So um, I want to I want to come back to Colleen. <laughs> you, you started this. You were curious. You're thinking about this. Um, you've been thinking about this. These folks have been thinking. We're talking about some possibilities, some options, some concerns. Colleen, what's exciting about what you're hearing today and what worries you about what you're hearing today? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll kind of start with the more center to me and then the bigger picture. But a lot of what you just said, Keith, the idea of how much more of our lives can open up with this idea of being flexible. You know, I work at Kalamazoo College, but just last week I moved to Grand Rapids. So for all my Michiganders out there, you know, it's a straight shot, but it's about an hour on the road. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just because life happened and it kind of pulled me up that way. But I love the work that I do and the role that I have. And I I wasn't ready to, to seek something different yet. Um, so the idea that like this flexibility can can be a reality and what that means for the quality of work that I can do and and um, and just like what that looks like that really excites me. Um, it also excites me to hear these new ideas from folks that have had the chance to roll this out and talk to others because if there's anything I've learned in my time from grad school to now you know kind of getting my start in the field is that the work we do is filled with so much passion and the last two Mm -hmm. years have really been hard for so many people. And it's been sort of a survival mode uh, for a lot of it and just figuring Mm -hmm. out how to adapt. And uh, no matter what level you're at, you've got somebody you're responding to that a lot of it has been in crisis mode for for the last Mm -hmm. couple of years. And so the knowing that we've got people thinking about how to adapt to that, um, you know, now, Will, you spoke a lot about what's happening in the corporate world and, and what that means for us here in higher ed and the thoughts around that. I feel really energized around what that means for us as we move forward. Uh, on the flip side, what worries me, um, if I'm being honest, being Please. in the beginning, 
Oh yeah. I mean, if I, being in the beginning in the first couple of years of my career, I have, I've got my friends in the field and my friends out of the field who are, I'm watching get these, um, the, the, the flexibility afforded to them and the changes that it brings. And, and so it makes me nervous to watch people like making the jump and sort of thinking like, Oh, am I in the right place? Like, are, are we going to make, are we going to do the thing to move forward and, and meet um, employees and students like where they're at and how do we balance that? And yeah, that worries me. That makes me nervous. Um, but right now I'm feeling like the excitedness definitely outweighs the, the worries. Yeah. And I think we're, you've all highlighted this notion that we can think about employees want to work from home. That is intention with meeting student needs. But you keep, you, you all keep saying, but students don't always want to meet in person. So where do students, how do we do this so that we're thinking about what do students need and what do students want? And how do we align employees with that so that we're not having these be in tension with each other? Um, and I think it's, to me, it sounds like a very dated idea about what students need and what students want in their experience, um, that they would always want to be in the office, that I always want to be there. Even student activities, even, even residents' life want to meet or text or chat or things like that. And so I think, you know, if 30% of students requested in person who are given that option, there's a lot of students who would rather meet. And then what, what's the downside of that? Right. Where, what isn't as effective virtual? What are what are the downsides? And what are the downsides of in person? What what's not as effective? Right. I just think about all the we've got some career center folks, all the assistant directors of the career center who I made do resume workshops in residence hall lounges. Twelve in a row at 9 p.m. at night with like three students who showed up <laughs> like that was a bad idea. We should have had that person do a recorded scripted 30 minute amazing thing one time and we could have shared that with so many people because they could have watched it on their schedule on their demand watch it again send it to their parents watch it again when they actually do their resume like there's a better way about going about that i think sometimes we have to collect data to make that case uh for the for our own office for career services you know, we, we, we survey students once a year. Uh, we do a stratified random sampling approach. So we're able to take those results and generalize it to the larger population. And this past year, we, we just asked them, what are some of the type of resources that we offer and what would be your preference for in-person versus virtual? Uh, and, you know, we started to see some of the results. They would love to have employer information sessions, of which we had 2,000 of them last year, virtually. So then does that mean my uh, assistant director that handles information sessions, does that mean she needs to be in the office while all the employers are virtual? No. Uh, and I think there are some ways to collect some of that data to be a bit more data-driven, to mm -hmm. identify where are those places, those spaces that students want things to be more virtual versus in-person, and then how can you take that information, utilize what your staff needs are, because let's, let's be honest, well-being of our staff should be just as important as the work that we're doing with students, because if they're not taking care of themselves, they're not going to be able to take care of your students. And so how can we find that balance by looking at both of these data points and figuring out whether those overlaps or those opportunities, yeah. I think it's going to be important. I think that assessment of what's working, what's not working, how are students experiencing things differently? We don't have the same students we had three years ago. They're really different, and what they've been through has changed them as well as us. 
What are other things folks are thinking about that uh, maybe we haven't gotten a chance to, to mention yet in this conversation before we move to concluding? I think, you know, we can all agree that, you know, COVID made it clear that institutions, we have to be nimble, we have to be agile, right? Not just in times of crisis, but just in our everyday operations. Uh, and how can we continually challenge our thinking, uh, our assumptions, and, and really build this into our business model, right? Because everyone, we can make a quick pivot when something, you know, bad happens, but how can we kind of normalize innovation, uh, and, and at the same time, you know, we, we, we must teach our students how to navigate a world that is really becoming increasingly volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Right. You know, college students today, I think will have upwards. Uh, I think some stats says, you know, 15 jobs in five different industries across their lifetime. You know, so we have to prepare our students also how to learn, unlearn, relearn. Otherwise, their skill sets will become obsolete. Right. So just as much as we're talking about about innovating students and making sure that, that they understand how to change and be nimble, we have to do that as well and operationalize that. How it's done, I'm not really sure, but I think we're at a point now where we're talking about it. And I think that's a good thing. Right. I, I'm, I guess I'm curious about what kinds of things do we want to make firm in terms of policy? And I'm thinking about the Rutgers policy. And where do we want to leave that ambiguity, that openness about the role, also about the human being? If I had Colleen's job, I'm not sure I would do it the way that she would do it because we're different people. We have different circumstances. And so I might want to do this. So where do we uh, tailor it to the role? Where do we tailor it to the person? Um, Where do we want to make it formalized and strict? Where do we want to keep it flexible and adaptable? You're reminding me of that too, Vaughn. Yeah, no, I think, you know, a very simple term, we just have to be in like almost a constant beta mode, right? Where we're, we're, we're testing, we're, we're, we're failing, we're learning, and we're doing it again. Uh, and, and, I, and I think, you know, yes, we need a framework, but we need flexibility within that framework. Uh, because, you know, more times than not, we, you know, for, for example, right, I, I have staff members who come ask me questions, right? And that's a wonderful thing. But more times than not, they know the answers, right? They sometimes don't want to you know, fail or be wrong. But if we can create a culture where innovation and trying new things is cool, right? You know, that's going to push us forward. And I think sometimes we get stuck in saying we don't want to make a mistake. And, and, but, you know, that's where good things happen, right? Once you move past the mistake. Well, and the key to that is when people try new things and it doesn't go well, we celebrate that rather than go, oh, you messed up, right? And right. Them. so the failure has got to be a part of the equation that's rewarded as well. And Keith, uh, can I also add, I, I think a lot of you mentioned this at the very beginning, we need to have a competitive advantage. And I think for other schools and universities that aren't doing this, they are going to lose talent. And so this is an opportunity for us to use our flexibility. I like what one said, the framework, we're still getting the job done and meeting students' needs. That's the important. How are we meeting mm-hmm. students' needs? But developing our talent as a result and providing that flexibility. Because I would say in the evidence I've seen so far, we've actually done better in the model than if we stay with a traditional or the older ways of saying there's no remote work. I think we would have lost more talent. I think we would not have served students as effectively. And so as long as we're looking at from those vantage points, I think we're moving in the right direction. Well, and, and I, we're running out of time. <laughs> and so I want to get to our last question. As you all know, the podcast is called Student Affairs Now. 
And uh, we'd love to hear what each of you are pondering or troubling or curious about now. Might be related to what we've talked about, might be related to other things that are just really pressing for you. And also, if you want to share where folks can connect with you, uh, that would be great. Um, so, Rick, let's let's kick off with you. What are you troubling now and how can folks connect with you? Sure. I think, as I mentioned earlier, this is an evolutionary process for all of us and making sure we don't want to make a bad decision, I think, that we might regret. And sometimes when you kind of give a liberty, it's hard to pull that back if it isn't working. So that's part of the struggle I think we're facing um, so far. I, I look at so far, so good what we've been doing. But in the end, the, the two words that's just come to mind, one is communication. It's critically important. And the other one is just setting expectations and making sure people are clear about what we expect in terms of a work from remote or work from home policy. Um, in terms of reaching me, I am on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn under Rick Gateau. Um, and my email address I can share is richard.gateau at stonybrook.edu. So I'm happy to share what we've done at Stony Brook and, and, and talk more about our planning process as well. Yeah. And we'll try and get some of the resources that you've mentioned and that others have mentioned linked in our show notes on our website. Vaughn, what's, uh, what's troubling you now? Wow. <laughs> Great question. Well, I, I think, you know, for me more so, I'm, I'm pondering a lot of different things, right? I'm, I'm a nerd. I love to read a lot. Uh, I love to like listen a lot. Uh, you know, and lately I've been reading books on user experience. Uh, and the general theme that's really coming out uh, is that too many companies really focus on the products and service and not really on the user experience, right? Mm-hmm. And that really got me thinking of, you know, do we do this in higher education, right? Do we overly focus on, you know, new programs, new curriculums and rankings at the expense of the student experience, right? You know, and how can we create more, uh, more moments where students will remember vividly? Uh, you know, you know what, what can we do to create more wow moments, right? You know, from, you know, admissions tours to dining to advising to just a random Wednesday in the fall, right? Could higher ed learn from like the hotel industry or the pro sports industry or Cirque de Olay, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know, the experience. And I think that's something that we can't lose sight of. Right. It's always putting more in on on the input side. But what's the output? You know, how are students experiencing uh, their time on campus? And that's really just been on my mind as of late. Uh, And you can find me on Twitter at Vaughn underscore Calhoun. uh, Instagram Vaughn Calhoun, one word. All right. Well, what are you troubling now? Let's see. Work related wise, uh, uh, I think the the biggest thing that we're focusing on right now uh, are ways to continue to bring people together. Uh, especially in this new hybrid world that we live in. So whether that's uh, we're experimenting with a common workday where every Mm -hmm. staff member works on a Wednesday in the office. Um, Also quarterly gatherings to create more of a a sense of belonging, uh, especially for our new incoming staff Mm -hmm. members. So these are all things that we're looking at at the moment uh, so that we can ensure that the office culture, as they say sometimes, um, is not changing for the negative uh, Mm -hmm. just because we are doing more things in a hybrid fashion. If anyone would like to, to chat with me or connect with me, uh, LinkedIn is the best way. Uh, my username on there is William Jones Jr. So it's just my full name with no periods, no spaces. Awesome. I love the word that you use that I loved is experimenting, right? We know this is what we're, in, we're, we're dabbling with these different, seeing what works and what doesn't, keeping with that nimble and adaptableness that Vaughn was talking about. Colleen, you started it all. We'll end with you. What are you troubling now? What's on your mind? Uh, and where can folks who want to connect with you connect with you? 
Yeah, I think right now I'm I'm just excited to kind of sit down after this and write down the thoughts and the things I've kind of gathered and go back tomorrow and say, hey, here's what we're here's what I got to talk about. Here's what here's what I've learned. Um, some of the ideas on my mind lately. I've also been reading a book. Um, it's called The Art of Gathering: Why, uh, How We Meet and Why It Matters by Priya Parker. Um, and I was reading that last night, and I've been thinking a lot about it lately, um, specifically with my student staff meetings um, and just how that kind of can expand out above just with that to our, um, you know, professional staff meetings and whatnot. So I've got a lot of ideas buzzing in my mind. So I'm feeling excited. Um, as far as how to reach me, probably best would be uh, through LinkedIn, Colleen McInerney, um, or by email. My email address is colleen.mcInerney at kzu.edu. Awesome. Thank you. I love they're bringing in the Art of Gathering. Priya Parker's got a great newsletter. She sends out about once a month. It's really now about the virtual. Um, I'll also mention a great book, Out of Office, uh, which is really about the, the managing of this and the future of this and the troubles of some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, thanks to all four of you. This has been terrific. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective, your experiences, your ideas, your innovations, and your curiosity. Uh, we really appreciate all of you. And thanks to our sponsors of today's episode, Simplicity and Leadership. Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success and accessibility services. Learn more, visit simplicity.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And Leadership partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences, both virtual and in-person. See, they're hybrid as well. For students and professionals with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. They offer engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find out more, visit leadership.org to connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. A huge shout out to Nat Ambrosi, our producer. She was formerly our production assistant. We've promoted her to producer for the podcast. And Nat does all of the behind the scenes work to make all five of us look and sound good. Thank you, Nat. And if you're listening today and not already receiving our newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage to add your email to our MailChimp list. While you're there, check out the archives. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to our fabulous guests today and everyone who is watching and listening. Make it a great week. Thank you all.